Hi, I'm Marianne Talkovsky, and you're listening to the Humanity Speaks podcast. With over a decade of experience as a holistic health practitioner and face reader, I've read hundreds of faces and elevated how many people see themselves. Every person's facial features tell a story of who they are and who they came to be. And in this podcast, you will hear what people see and learn about themselves while looking in the mirror. You won't want to miss an episode, so be sure to subscribe. Epiphany Jordan shares her story about attending an event in 2004 where her boundaries were crossed horribly. And instead of getting support from a community that she trusted, she was instead attacked and blamed for what had happened to her. For nearly a year, she tried to get people to listen to her, and then she finally decided to walk away. So her story is really about boundaries. She is heterochromic, meaning different colored eyes, and she shares her remedy for healing the world through human touch. Listen to the end as she shares what she feels humanity needs the most. Everyone could learn about boundaries. Okay, so I'm Marianne Telkovsky. We're here with Humanity Speaks, the human in the mirror. And I am here with Epiphany Jordan. Love the name. Thank you. Epiphany, welcome. <laughs> I'm glad you're here. Yeah, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm, I'm uh, like I was saying earlier, I've listened to one of your podcasts and I'm pretty intrigued by what you do. So awesome. And it'll be fun. To, yeah. Yeah. I can't wait to hear more about your story as well. So I'm looking at some of the notes you sent in and um, I'm very intrigued. So as all episodes start, I have my guests looking in the mirror and just taking a look to see what you see. Okay. So, People that are listening, they may not be seeing the photo uh, of you, or they may um, just not know what you look like. So mm-hmm. when you, um, you have your mirror, right? Right here. Right here. Okay. And I was just commenting how awesome it looks. So, um, so yeah, w- go ahead and take a moment and hold that mirror up and just describe like what you see, what, what your features, what you see when you look in the mirror, how you would describe your face. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's see, what do I see? Um, surprisingly few wrinkles for somebody who's almost 60. Um, my eyebrows are still fairly heavy and dark, although there's a little white spot on one. My eyelids are getting a bit uh, hooded. Um, my eyes are heterochromic. I have two different colored eyes, which I think is a pretty unusual thing. Um, for the most part, my face is oval shaped and I've got some freckles and um, my skin's kind of more olive toned. It's pretty, pretty much on the brown side. I've got some pretty heavy dark circles under my eyes, which is pretty common, I think, for Indian folks. And um, my lips are a little bit brown to pink. And um, what else? Um, My cheeks are fairly filled out right now. I have a 
nose piercing. My nose is huge. That's uh, probably one of my least favorite things. They say that your nose never stops growing, and I don't think mine has ever stopped growing. So a um, little bit of tiny crow feet on the around my eyes when I smile, and a little bit of frown lines uh, in between in between my eyes at the top of my forehead. But um, what else? Um, I it, it's hard because like because of my eyes, I think that my face is fairly asymmetrical. So that's okay. different. Okay. Do you want me to put the mirror down so you can see my face now? Um, actually, I, I love that you're still looking. So is there a feature that you really, really love about your face? Um, I love my eyes. I always try to make sure that there there's a really good when I'm getting photos taken that you can see them just because they're so unusual. And uh, when, <laughs> when I'm actually smiling, I think my smile's pretty nice. When I'm not smiling, I'm a little bit smirky. Although <laughs> a friend of mine uh, gave me a gift a couple of years ago for my birthday. It was like a bitch face. <laughs> <laughs> so, you kind of cut off a little bit there so you said your friend gave you a gift and what was that again uh, it was a little makeup bag that says you should see my active bitch face as opposed to resting bitch face <laughs> <laughs> sounds like a fun friend <laughs> yeah yeah she gives me great presents um yeah so okay is there a feature epiphany that you don't like Probably my nose, it just seems to completely dominate all the time when I'm looking at uh, my face in a mirror. Okay. Okay. And you said um, heterochromic, so your eyes are of different color. What colors? Uh, my left eye is mostly brown with a little bit of hazel, and my right eye is green or hazel. Okay. And what was that like growing up with two different color eyes. How would you, I mean, how do you feel like that has shaped you or impacted you? It's, it's interesting. It's like, sometimes I will meet people for the first time and they'll look in my eyes and they'll be like, wow, your eyes are two different colors. And then I have other friends that I've known for years. And one day they're like, did you know your eyes are two different colors? And I was like, no, I had no idea. <laughs> but I mean, I, I was I was always kind of the uh, outsider weird kid. And, you know, I, I grew up in a pretty small town and um, I had a strange name. And, you know, I just I wasn't like all the other little Susie's and Jane's and um, Kathy's and, and that. So um, I think it kind of further marked me as an outsider, like there was really no way to hide from it. Mm. So, yeah. Okay. So outsider, um, your parents, they must've been pretty groovy to name you Epiphany. Jordan. They actually, they didn't, they did not name me Epiphany. I, I <laughs> changed my name. Although my, name. okay. Yeah. My, uh, my original name was pretty unusual as well. And, uh, my last name was unusual. Um, I, I always win the crazy family award. Um, my, uh, let's see, my father is Muslim. He was born in India and grew up in South Africa. And my mother is half Catholic and half Jewish. She was born in Palestine because her father was on the run from the Nazis. He was the Jewish agitator. 
and uh, then they came to the United States and met here. So, um, you know, I have a pretty, like, people, people never know when they're trying to guess my nationality. They're like, are you Mexican or Italian or Greek or um, Persian, Pakistani? No, nobody ever guesses what it is. So, Okay, so I want to get to your name, but something you just said right there is really fascinating. Do you feel like that has added to the experience of being an outsider or do you feel like you can fit in in any place and kind of mold or be a chameleon with that kind of fluidity? That's a great question. I, I've played around a lot with the concept of trying to make my differences a bridge as opposed to a wall. I think for, I know for a long time, I, I, I used the fact that I was different to push people away and, and keep them away from me. And uh, it's only the past couple of years, I think, that I've started really letting my guard down and, um, you know, trying to be more friendly and open with people and, um, you know, kind and inquisitive. And um, so it's, that's kind of a new stance for, I think, for a long time, it was, I, I just was just an outsider and being different made me, you know, kept me away from people. So... Okay. So being different, keeping you away from people, would you say that feeling like an outsider made you feel safe in some way? It kept me feeling safe in that um, if people, if people weren't close to me, then they couldn't hurt me. But, uh, you know, I think for a lot of my life, I, I didn't feel really safe. Um, I don't know um, what I, what's your stance on epigenetics. The, oh, the, I'm all about it. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, so you know, between um, a father who grew up under apartheid and um, you know a grandfather on the other side who was on the run from the Nazis, like hiding is uh, you know kind of in my DNA, and um, so I've. I spend probably most of my life, I still struggle with it, with uh, not feeling safe yeah. in the world. So I, I, I want to touch on that because I know when I had asked in the um, application process of, of the episodes, get attracting guests, I had asked about a challenge that you had faced and you had given me just enough to be like, oh, uh, I want to know more <laughs> in your story, particularly about your incidents in, in 2004 um, uh-huh. where you were, you were sharing about boundaries and um, I, I'd love to hear more about that story. I'm sure. Okay. I, too. <laughs> I was all like, wait, what was I talking about? Cause it had been a while since I filled out your questionnaire. So yeah. um, 
Okay, so for many years, uh, starting in 1994, um, I was very heavily involved with the Burning Man project. I was, I, I went for years. I was a longtime volunteer. I did a lot of things with them, um, did a lot of volunteer work and paid work, and um, it was a very formative part of my life. And um, in 2004, I was living in Austin, where I live now, and uh, we had a regional event, and uh, there was a group that decided that they wanted to play with authority, and um, so they went through a very elaborate ruse about lying about what they were doing and, you know, lying to get placed in a spot where they would hurt the most people, and um Basically, what they did was they set up a 30-foot tall tower and put a locked chain link fence around it. They all dressed like cops and um, spent five days blasting like horrible, nasty, disturbing sound at top volume um, in a way that everybody could hear it. And um sound is used to torture people and that you know there were things like uh like there was one point where they skipped a record for 90 minutes you know like just the same like little tiny half second loop going over and over and over again and um it drove me crazy and at the end of the weekend I was you know it was it was our day to go home and it was uh very very hot you know Texas in May is uh, is pretty brutal, and uh, the the sound thing started up again, and it just destroyed me mentally. And I went back after the fact, and I was like, "This is not okay. What happened is not okay." And you know, this is something that you know I I feel pretty violated over this. Um, and uh, it, it was hard for me because, like, I, I was so traumatized that I wasn't being really articulate. And my thing was, I, I didn't have a problem with what they were doing. It was the non-consensual nature. You know, it's like, okay, you guys want to, like, play cops and torture people? You know, that's fine. Then you should do that to people who want to have that experience because I think there are probably people out there who want to have that experience, but this idea of like sneaking it around, sneaking around to make it as non-consensual as, po as possible was my problem. And the group just completely turned on me and blamed me for the whole thing. And, you know, I had been part of this group for four years and I thought they were my friends and family. And uh, um, it turns out that they weren't. And I kept trying to, make them understand what had happened and they couldn't and I finally just gave up and walked away and um it was it was definitely a transformative experience it took me a lot of years to get to the place where I was like okay you know I'm now now I can see the value in what happened but I mean like I was I was physically ill for a year from this sound thing you know it's it's not it's it's something that I think is a valid form of expression or play, but it's also the kind of thing that um, you, you don't want to do it with somebody who doesn't want to have that experience. I mean, like uh, in BDSM communities, for instance, like um, fantasies or scenes that involve 
police, you know, where one person's dressed as a, a police officer and the, the other person is, you know, a prisoner of some sort. I mean, like that stuff is, um, it, there, there's a lot of it that goes on, but, you know, it has to be something that both parties agree to. And, you know, I certainly did not show up for this event, you know, agreeing that, hey, I'm going to spend five days being tortured. And, you know, everybody was just like, oh, you can just go home. You know, you should have just gone home. And I was like, well, I couldn't leave. I was, <laughs> you know, I was, I was trying to get cleaned up so that I could, you know, get all my stuff cleaned up so I could leave and I couldn't. And, you know, why is this all my fault? You know, this wasn't, this what I didn't spend months coming up with this elaborate prank that wasn't all that funny. So um, that's, uh, that's, that's probably, I was going to say that's the short version, but it's not, it was a pretty long version. So there you have it. It's really fascinating because, you know, you're talking about feeling like an outsider and then also like going into a group setting where you want to fit and you want to belong. And so that psychological um, trauma can be very, very in, like intense. Mm -hmm. And so here's what I want to say about, like, you'd mentioned your nose. And if you listen to any other episodes or you ever get into Chinese face reading, the nose represents the area of personal power. And uh, okay. so you're talking about being involved in a group and also feeling like, okay, whatever's agreed upon, it's consensual. And you weren't feeling it was consensual. And so you you know, after the fact, after all is said and done, you're claiming your personal power in what you believe is yeah. okay for you. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's very accurate. I mean, I, I've learned since then that, you know, it's like, people are always like, well, if I was in the situation, I would have done this, or I would have done this. And it's like, it's very rare that people will actually stand up for what they think is right. You know, most people just kind of go along with the herd because they're afraid of not belonging. And, um, you know, I was asked to do that in many ways by many people, you know, like, oh, you know, just get over it and, you know, just let's just go along to get along. And I was like, yeah, no, not okay. You know, this is, this is what happened was not okay. And um, it shouldn't happen to anybody else. And of course it did. It happened to more people later on. And, yeah. So. Yeah, and and also your history about what you experienced with your ancestors and and the hiding piece. It's really hard to speak up when you're so used to being in a place of hiding or being behind the scenes yeah. or not feeling safe and not knowing if you're going to be heard. So, um, you know, when I look at your face and I've just you've described your features and you told your story, you have a really interesting contrast between the water and the fire elements hmm, and water okay. it is about mystery it really is about what's beneath the surface there's so much complexity and depth uh and and again that you you sharing your story about your ancestors um and also feeling almost like you could be oftentimes feel alone or like mm. You could be anywhere, but not not really belong somewhere. Yeah. Um, 
and then the fire piece is, is about connection. It is about like, I mean, you've got freckles and different colored eyes and, you know, like, so it is about being seen. So you're, you're kind of like playing with these two elements. I'm not sure if you're aware where being seen and heard is, is really important, but also challenging for you. Yeah. I mean, I, it's funny, the, I I talk about this all the time. The number one piece of advice that my father gave me when I was growing up was keep your mouth shut. You know, it's like, don't, don't make waves, don't be seen. And, um, you know, it's been, it's been hard to kind of move through that and, and maneuver around it and, you know, feel like I have a message for the world and uh you know but at the same time so it's like it's it's a constant battle to you know allow myself to feel safe and being open and vulnerable and uh it's it's hard yeah so so talk to me about your name epiphany frozen you chose that name for yourself um, it kind of picked me out. I was, uh, after I moved to Texas, I was like, you know, I'm like going into a different phase of my life. I need a new name. And I was like, oh, it's probably the kind of thing that I'll just like hear the word and I'll be like, yeah, that's it. And sure enough, like a year later, somebody said that word and I was like, oh my God, that's it. And um, so probably for about 15 years after that, I used the name somewhat informally, you know, so I was like one person with my friends and then I was another person to my bank and my doctor and the IRS and all that. And um, finally, a couple of years ago, I guess three years ago, yeah, it's been almost exactly three years, I uh, decided to, to make a legal name change. And uh, Jordan was actually my, uh, my mother's maiden name and it's also my niece's name. So it's a family name for us. Yeah. So you're claiming your name. Father told you growing up, keep your mouth shut. Mm-hmm. Ancestrally, you've been imprinted to hide. Yeah. Now is the time for you to speak your truth and share your story. What do you what message do you have? What what is your message? My mission in the world is to rebrand human touch uh our current cultural paradigm of equating touch with sex is not working for most of us it's definitely not working for single people but it's not working for people who are in relationships and i would like us to think about it more in terms of the physiological health benefits i mean it has loads and loads of health benefits and um, to think of it as a part of wellness just like we would with diet or exercise or sleep or drinking water you know all these all these things that go into making good health but it also has the added benefit of that it makes people connect and and feel like they do belong and like they matter you know it's it's hard to not feel like somebody cares about you when they're touching you tenderly and uh, it's something that I feel is beneficial for both the receiver and the giver and um, the world could use a lot more of it we're gonna we're definitely gonna need it going forward um, you know, ways to simple ways to um, connect and see each other as human again. 
And I would imagine in order for someone to be in that space, they would have to feel safe. What, to be touching or being touched? Exactly. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, you know, there's 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 a lot of touch that is unsafe. You know, it's, it's interesting. We have uh, too much unwanted touch, and yet we have a lot of touch starvation, you know, and especially coming out of the pandemic right now. Um, and yeah, I mean, the, 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 the piece about, you know, that this is something that the person who's being touched wants and, uh, you know, that the, the person who's giving the touch has clear intentions about it and, you know, that it's intended to be something that's, you know, caring and comforting and, um, soothing and relaxing. And healing. Um, Yeah. No, it's a consensual thing. Right. It has to be. I, I mean, you know, there's, you'll hear people talk about the fact that, you know, like sometimes there are people who have survived sexual assaults or like, especially like if they were sexually abused as a child and, you know, there's this um, kind of crossed wires around, you know, the fact that it feels good, even though it's something that, you know, that wasn't supposed to happen, you know, that, that does happen. But um in my book, in order for it to be nurturing, um, it has to be something that, that both people want. Yeah. So. And you talked about being the bridge, not the wall. Yes. For people to come to a place of understanding. How do you see that in your work? I'm pretty enamored with the image of the Pied Piper. It's like, here, I'm going to like play this, play this song for you and you can listen to it. And if you like the song, then, you know, come along on, on, on this adventure, you know, it's, it's kind of like being a, being a signpost, but, you know, I mean, I have, I have no interest in forcing anybody into doing this because that kind of defeats the purpose. Um, But I think that, I think that there's a lot of people, you know, I, I feel like with the, pandemic ending that um, we have opportunities in a lot of different areas of our lives to go, okay, what was it that was we had in our lives before that wasn't working or, you know, what were the things that we missed and how do we want to do things different going forward? And I feel like this is, this is something for a lot of people, you know, cause I mean, there were, there were a lot of people out there who, you know, went a year without touching another person. Um, I mean, I, I heard stories about like people who were like, yep, the first time another person touched me was when I got vaccinated, you know, which isn't necessarily the most pleasant form of touch. But um, yeah, so it's, uh, you know, it's just more of like going, hey, look over here and see what this is about. Um, so I think it's a matter of, making the message as clear as possible and figuring out different ways to disseminate it. You know, this, it's, this isn't a one size fits all um, solution. I, I, I kind of, uh, one of the ways I like to, one of the metaphors is it's like exercise. Like if your doctor told you um, that you needed to get more exercise, you know, if they were like, you need to get more human touch in your life, there's gotta be like, 
many different ways, you know, like if you're trying to get more exercise, you know, it's like you could join a gym or you could hire a personal trainer or you could do like an adult team sport. You could watch YouTube videos in your living room. You could go for a walk every day. Um, you know, you could, you could go swimming, you know, there's, so there's, there's not, you could join a Zumba class, you know, there's a lot of different ways to go about getting exercise. And I feel like uh, with touch, it's kind of the same thing that we need to give people different options for, for how to get that. Cause it's not going to look the same and work the same for everybody. A lot of it, I think depends on your life circumstances. So. Right. Yeah. I, I, it's so funny that we're talking about this today because um, I've been married for 10 years and my husband, he's five years younger than me. Um, <laughs> he has a beard that feels like barbed wire every time he kisses me. Oh, he, oh yeah. He will hug me and my hair gets caught under his armpit. I tease him all the time. You are so clumsy, dude. Um, and, and, and he told me last night, he's like, we've been married 10 years. Can you please teach me how to touch you? Oh, that's so lovely. Yeah. Actually, my next, uh, my next book project is, is, uh, um, a book about non-sexual touch for couples, for romantic couples, you know, cause I, my, the first book I wrote was for single people. Cause you know, they, they really don't have opportunities for it. But, um, like I was saying before, this is something that affects married people so much. So I'm, I'm glad to hear your husband saying that that's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. And I will buy that book and I can imagine, you know, people being single elderly, you know, as you mentioned, just being isolated sense, it touches how we experience the world. It's, you know, one of our senses and, and so, yeah, I think normalizing it um, and, and reframing it um, when I'm thinking about investing in human touch, I think about massage, but it sounds like there's a different element here. Yes, definitely. And facilitating. Could you say a little bit more about that? Yeah. Um, I, well, first off, I, I love massage. I think it's one of the best things since sliced bread. I try to get a massage once a month. Um and managed to do that for a good portion of the of the pandemic, but um, so, so the touch that I'm talking about is more is more light. It's more light on your skin. Um, one of the biggest differences is that you don't. If you're going to get a massage, you know you, you can get a pretty decent massage from an amateur, but you know it, t- it takes a lot of physical strength to do, and it also takes a lot of training. Um, and massages are for the most part, they're pretty expensive. It's a, it's a luxury thing. Whereas, um, I, I call it nurturing human touch is kind of the phrase that I coined. And, um, if you're doing it from peer to peer with people that, you know, with friends, it's absolutely free. Um, and it's, and it's easy for people to do regardless of their age or their fitness level or, um, you know, their, their physical strength, um, because it's, it's very, it's very light. Um, and, you know, there's definitely a lot of massages that, that feel very nurturing. Like I have, um, I, I go and get massages from a, a dear friend of mine, you know, so that's really nice, but, um, you know, the, the nurturing touches is meant specifically to be, comforting and you know to make you feel like you're being cared for and you're thriving uh 
it's it was interesting when when I had my hands-on touch business like uh, one of the groups of clients who really loved what we did was massage therapists they were like oh here let me you know I'm doing this for other people all day and you know here you are doing this for me so thank you so yeah yeah it's one of the five love languages it is it totally is it's it's a yeah well I, I love what you're putting out in there into the into the world the work that you're doing and the message and I really love what I see in your face I I know the strength can also be a challenge. And it sounds like <laughs> you think yeah, <laughs> it, it sounds like you're you're on your way, Epiphany, to you know, healing those ancestral wounds that you know, um, yeah. and even the traumas that, that you've experienced um to to be the light. So um so I honor you in that. With everything you shared, what would you say you think uh, humanity or you believe humanity needs the most? I think that right now we need to to take care of each other. I mean, I feel like, it, you know, as we start coming out of the pandemic, I mean, it's like we have a pretty massive level of trauma going on. and. Um, you know, to be able to to stop and slow down and um, and really care for each other, I think is is going to be super important, and and it's going to be more important as we go through the 21st century. I mean, when we think about scarcity of resources or um, you know ecosystems, you know collapsing as we have global warming. You know, what if you know what if you have you find yourself in a situation where wherever it is that you're living is you can't live there anymore. And, uh, you know, you have to like move someplace and you move in with a bunch of friends and all of a sudden you find yourself sharing this, this small space together. You know, it's like, uh, one of the things that they've found with, I can't remember which kind of monkeys it is, but they, one of the reasons that they engage in social grooming is not just for removing parasites, but also because it fosters sharing and cooperation. Like they share their food more with each other and, you know, act more as a a troop or a band as opposed to individuals. And um, we're going to, we're going to need a lot more of that, you know, as the, as the world gets progressively smaller on a lot of levels, you know, and it's like, we have a lot of, intellectual connection but we don't have connection with our bodies yeah and and in order to foster that taking care of each other we need more bridges and not walls (laughs) yeah absolutely I'm trying I'm trying (laughs) (laughs) I can relate to the outsider piece a lot you know yeah and and it can be a gift and it can be a curse and ultimately we do need to honor our differences, but also know like there is a paradox that can coexist and, and it means we are all the same. We are all one and touch may be the bridge. So it's certainly one of them. I don't, I definitely don't claim to have all the answers, but um, as a friend says, I think it's one of humanity's blind spots and it's, so simple and so obvious and um you know if you can work through some of the mental chatter and the fear and the shame around it it's very accessible you know you just you just need two people who are willing to get out of their comfort zone and have some honest conversations about what it is that they want and need so yeah 
doesn't doesn't take a lot of resources to to do you know it's a it's something that's very simple yeah well so the last thing I'm going to ask is revisiting that mirror I know we've only got a snippet into your world (laughs) but based on it's it's a it's a very deep and very weird rabbit hole. <laughs> well, and, and that's the water energy we were talking about. You know, yeah. um, there is a lot of depth and mystery there. So, um, I'd love to hear you, you know, looking in the mirror again, you see your reflection, what you see now. I mean, I I you know I I struggle with looking at my face. Um, I, you know, one of, one of the things that I think about myself a lot is that like, it's, it's often really hard to figure out how old I am. You know, it's like, I'm, I'm kind of young and I'm kind of old. It's like, I'm, I'm innocent and wise at the same time. And, uh, which is kind of a a cool little paradox to have. And, um, yeah, I mean, I just, I mostly just, see a human who wants to be part of the world and contribute in some way that longing for belonging yeah that's powerful it really is well I see you and I'm so glad you know that you shared what you did and that you're again doing your work in the world yeah thank you i'm I'm excited there's some some big changes coming up for me this year and uh taking the work in a little bit different of a direction so um it's it's a it's a really big change for me it's a pretty radical um ninety degree turn but um it's something that's super exciting that I feel like is gonna help me do this work more effectively and reach more people. <laughs> I was going to say, there she goes again with those cliffhangers and that dopamine hit. So how can people follow your journey and, and, and watch this 90 degree turn and learn more about your work? Yeah, um, I can be found online. My website is www.nurturinghumantouch.com. And um, we talked a little bit about the book, but we didn't, I didn't really talk about it. Um the name of my book is Somebody Hold Me, The Single Person's Guide to Nurturing Human Touch. And I think as we come back to um, navigating the world of physical connection between humans um, coming out of the pandemic, I think it's a really good resource. That, um, it's I, I wrote the book before the pandemic, but I think it's got a lot of really good, solid um practical advice on how to move through the world more fluidly and, you know, navigate this changing cultural terrain. You know, I mean, before the pandemic, we were dealing a lot with like Me Too and, you know, sexual um, or, you know, inappropriate touch and, you know, sexual harassment and work situations. I think it's super helpful for that. And also just to you know, give people different options for different ways to connect. And um, the book can be found, uh, you can, you can link to it off of the website, but you can also, it's in uh, digital paper and audiobook format on like all the major digital platforms um, on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and all that. And um, um, there's also links off of my website to Facebook and 
Instagram and Twitter and all that good jazz. So um, I'm out there in the world. And uh, I'd like to post actually on my Instagram, I like to post photos and just kind of different musings that I have about different aspects of human touch. I mean, it's, it's such a, such a huge and fascinating topic. I mean, we could, we could have a conversation about this for six hours and not touch on everything. And, um, you know, sometimes my stuff's really philosophical and sometimes it's practical or, you know, sometimes it's like some weird, tiny little element of it that I'm thinking about. And, um, yeah, some, uh, some good food for thought. So love it. I love it. Tons uh, of rabbit holes sounds like. definitely i'm a i'm a yeah i actually lose carol and i share a birthday so um going down the rabbit hole is very appropriate for me (laughs) thank you so much epiphany yeah thank you for having me marianne this was super fun i really enjoyed it me too me too (laughs) cool Thank you for listening to the Humanity Speaks podcast. With the rise of social media engagement and video conference calls, many people are feeling more self-conscious about seeing themselves face on. I believe that if you love yourself when you see yourself, you elevate humanity, which is why I've created programs to help people love who they see in the mirror. I wanna show you how to look at yourself with love, compassion, and acceptance, so you can share your strengths, presence, and talents with pride. The best part is we can work together one-on-one in a group program or even in person. Simply visit MarianneTelkovsky.com or follow me on Instagram at MarianneTelkovsky and we can get started right now on your path to radical self-acceptance, healthy aging, and building your radiant energy. Until next time, signing off, this is Marianne Telkovsky with Humanity Speaks.